listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. All right, everyone. Well, today we're going to be talking about the November trends and give you the update for what happened around Denver in November. So I got Joe Massey with me today. What is happening, man? It's great to see you. Thanks so much for having me here for the podcast. It's been a while since I've gotten to join one of these. Um, I think our schedule has been conflicting, but I'm excited to be back and be here for this trends update on for everyone. Yeah, I have to say, I enjoy doing a lot more with like you rather than solo. Yeah, uh, talking by yourself for 20 minutes gets uh, you know gets rough. It's hard for us to listen too. I want you to know that as a listener. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Joe, before we jump into trends, um, how would you sum up the market right now? Uh, you know what? It's an extraordinarily strong seller's market. Um, so I want everybody to listen to the end, but that's the message it's going to be right now is it's a strong seller's market. We're going to go through all the data, all the stats, break down everything for you. And when you get to the end, the conclusion is going to be it's a very strong seller's market. Yeah. Um, it, although that being said, I still think there's some opportunities to buy. I think there's some opportunities out there, um, whether you're buying, selling, sellers have a lot of the cards in the deck right now, but that doesn't mean buyers should wait on the sidelines. Very well said. Thanks. That wasn't your first time saying that, was it? It's my first time today. All right. Uh, so after we go through the trends, we are going to talk about a couple of news items as well. So our monthly update, my goal is to make it trends plus some noteworthy news items. So jump in the trends here. Our active inventory is down 51% from last November. And to give you the context on there, because this is... I'd never before seen seller's market. Like you see, it's a strong seller's market. We, last November, we were at just under 7,000 active homes on the market, single family. So homes, condos, townhomes. This past November was 3,415, 51%. 51% decrease. Uh, now the average for November between 1985 and 2019 is 14,500. So way below the average. And not just for November, but this is the lowest inventory ever on record for Denver last 40 years. Yeah. So, Joe, in the 1980s, was Denver bigger or smaller? Uh, Denver was quite a bit smaller in the 1980s than it is today. And we had more houses back then, right? Uh, we did not have more houses back then, no. Exactly. So really, to put in the context, like, you know, lowest ever, and this is... I mean, the population, the housing inventory are very different than they were 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. I don't have this stat in front of me, but I would wager that Denver was half the size in population and households in the 80s than it is now. We'd have to go back and really look. So, you know, anybody out there that wants to comment, please do, but don't don't flame me for that comment uh, if I'm wrong. But I would be willing to bet that the population in Denver was half in the 1980s than it is today. All right. Podcast world. You can, uh, someone can fact check that. Well, they fact and check it and tell me if I'm right or wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So, and I mean, that pretty much just sums up everything. I mean, we have that low inventory. The last data point I want to talk about is we actually have more properties under contract than we do active listings. So I know a lot of people have been to any trends class by me, Joe, uh, your castle, Lon. You see that chart of active inventory, which had big inventory back in the uh, 2000s, and then the number of sold. So for the last couple of months, the number of contracts is greater than active inventory. So end of November, we had 4,800 properties under contract, and we ended up with 3,400 active. So it actually inverted, which looking at the graph, I think it's the first time it's happened. Yeah, crossed over. Yeah, the blue line yep. for everybody that's watching on YouTube, the blue line is the number of sales. The yellow line is active inventory. 
And, you know, the active inventory normally looks kind of like a saw, up and down, up and down, up and down. The sales look like a saw, up and down, up and down, up and down, because it's seasonal. But now the down for active inventory is less than the number of sales that we're having. So you put a property on the market, it's being scooped up and picked up right away. So anything you see that's that's staying on the market, it's probably overpriced. Um, it's got some maybe some issues or something going on with it. But anything that is a good property priced well is being scooped up very, very quickly. Yeah. And if you guys want to see these graphs, uh, just click the show notes there on the website or go to the website and click Denver across the top nav bar and drop down to market updates. So as far as the other monthly stats, I mean, they all paint the same picture. Yeah, we could so. get into days on market. We could get into, you know, close price, list price, all those various things. But it's going to show um, that the sellers have a lot of advantage. Although I did, I actually do want to pause for a second. The the price that something is listed at versus what it is selling at. A year ago, if I listed a property for $100,000, it would on average sell for 98.8% of that. So I list it for $100,000, it's going to sell for $98,800. Right now, if I list that same property for $100,000, on average, it's going to sell for $100,610. Yep. So if I list a property, on average, it's going to sell above list price. But that means if I list something for $500,000 and it's only worth three hundred, dollars it might not sell above list price. It still has to be priced appropriately, but you do have opportunities that the average market or the average property in the market is going above list price. Again, just a very, very strong seller's market, guys. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because it's very tight inventory, but in the big picture for people that are long-term investors, it still makes sense to buy, uh, to invest because, you know, numbers are strong, prices are strong, interest rates are very, very low right now. I've heard. Yeah. I've heard. Have you noticed that too? I have, I've uh, heard, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know what? You bring up a really great point, Chris. Let's talk about that for a second, that close price to list price. I do have some investors that are like, oh, I don't want to pay over lists for a property. Well, let's think about this for a minute, okay? If a property is listed for $300,000, and I've got to pay a 0.6% premium. So as of today, I'd have to pay 300,000, uh, 302,400. Okay. What do you think that property is going to be worth next year, Chris? How much are properties going up year over year right now? Uh, I mean, they're. I mean, it's going to be worth 310, 315, I would imagine. Yeah. So a year from now, it's going to be up between 3 and 5%. So a year from now, that property is going to be 315,000. Would you rather pay 302 for that property today? knowing that interest rates are extraordinarily low, or would you rather wait a year and pay most likely 315 or higher and know that interest rates are going to be most likely higher? Which is a better option? I think you know the answer to that one, Joe. Right. For all of our listeners out there. Uh, it's the buy now. Yeah. Buying now, guys, even if you're paying above list price, that doesn't mean you're getting a bad deal. It just means you're paying a little bit of a premium to knock somebody else out of the way for your competition. You're getting the property, and then guess what? A year from now, when it's worth 315 320 who owns it? You do. You've been the, the beneficiary of that appreciation. Yeah, and based on the stats, waiting around for the market to correct is not going to happen. The It's not on the horizon. I don't and, see it. And a good exercise to do, like we say this, why I always tell people do is, hey, go find a property that you like, and it's listed at 300 then put in all your numbers, see what the total initial investment is, and see what your you know annual cash flow is, and then go raise to 310, go raise to 320, go raise to 330, and just get a feel for what that does, because your initial investment, oh, it doesn't go up that much. Your annual cash flow, oh, it doesn't drop it, like it still drops it, but not that not much. That You're much. like, oh, okay, this is still actually, yeah, it's, it's still cash flow positive. I like these. It's still a good number. It's still a 5% you know, cash on cash return. Mm -hmm. So yeah, check that out. That's a good good thing to do. So as we move on, like any other stats you want to talk about, Joe? 
Nope, that's the big one uh, I wanted to hit on. Yeah, we could uh, we could uh, fire hose people's stats, but I think they got the story now. Yeah, the message is strong seller's market. So I actually mentioned this to you yesterday, Joe. I asked you if you're writing your chapter for the 2021 real estate investing strategy book. And you said, of course you are. I remember glazing over when I got the question. Yeah, I, th- I think the real answer was, oh yeah, it's in my inbox still. Yeah, I think it's there. Yeah. So as a reminder, everyone, write your chapters. I always promote it. It's good for you to clarify. I mean, Joe and I have talked a few times already this year just for plans and goals that we are looking to accomplish and, you know, investing, personal business, all that stuff. And then publish it to the book. It's great with a network. And I also believe that taking your goals and, you know, there's, hey, take, writing your goals is great, but then writing your goals and publish them is greater. Yeah. Just because you get more people reading it and being held accountable. So, I think Joe... Give people your sales pitch why they should write a chapter this year. You know what? I think the number one reason you should write a chapter is so that you can uh, be a co-author with uh, an extraordinarily gifted, talented mastermind like Chris Lopez. That's the main reason that I write my chapter is so that I can be in the same book as uh, as a guru like you. Right. Uh, come on. Not even a courtesy laugh? No, I was going to say, do you want, me, uh, do you want $20 cash or 20 to Venmo to you? Uh, 50, 50, 50, actually. All right. That, um, uh, no, but thank you. But you know what? Really, it's, it is a, it's a fun exercise to write down your goals. It's fun to share with everybody, hey, this is where I was at um, January 1st of 2020. And holy cow, we've had all sorts of things go on this year. How did that impact my investing strategy? What's my plan for next year? Um, I'll give you go ahead and give you a newsflash. It's going to be really similar to this year. It's going to be really similar to last year. My plan is going to continue because I'm just continuing to follow the steps. But I'm going to update it with what progress did I make? Where am I at? What tweaks do I need to make to my plan? What tweaks do I need to make to my goals? Um, share that with everybody. And you know what I love is when people comment, and they're like, hey, Joe, I read your investing strategy and I really like that you did A, B, and C. Um, would that be relevant for me if I wanted to do something similar, if I wanted to change this or have questions? So I love talking about that stuff. Um, so anybody listening, I'd encourage you write it down, send it to us. We'd love to share it in the book. Um, don't be afraid of sharing your information. Don't be afraid of typos. I think I found like four typos that I had last year. Don't worry about it. People want to see what you're up to. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be fun. It's it's an enjoyable exercise to put it all down on paper. So I, I'm excited for it, actually. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well said. All right. So a couple news pieces here. This is one that Stacy Rosansky emailed to me, I think about a week ago. And Stacy is an agent on our team. A lot of our podcast listeners, you met her on an episode a few a few episodes ago, uh, something titled ADUs. Stacy has a lot of background on that, uh, knows the zoning, knows all these uh, rules. So hopefully you're going to hear more from her. I should say, hopefully you will hear more from her and you get to know her. So she sent me this article here uh, from the Denverite. So for the last year, year and a half, there's been a proposal from the Denver City Council to raise the number of roommates that can live together. Unoccupied people that can live together. Currently in Denver, I think it's two people. With a waiver, it's three people. So it's a pretty low number of people. So it's good for getting more affordable housing out there for people that need to move here. Yeah. And the other part of the bill is also to have a lot more like halfway houses and more of these group living homes for uh, homeless and substance abuse. So it sounds like from the what this article said is that they're probably going to raise limit to like five people Number four to six, but probably five people of unrelated people in the other, which I think is fantastic for great news for our house hackers. Yeah, it's great news for people for them, people who are running room by room. Yeah. And it's also just good for more affordable housing. Like we need it. And yeah. people are doing it, just make it, make it, uh, make it the rules. And they're going to limit the amount of halfway houses. So they're going to do the final vote on December 22nd. So we will let you know next month what that's like. 
I, I think the number one takeaway that I have on this is apparently when I was in college, I broke the law for four straight years. I had no idea you couldn't do that. And this is something, um, you know, it's probably relevant if you're a house hacker, if um, you're renting room by room. Um, I doubt the cops are going to knock on the door to say, hey, you have too many people in here, but the neighbors might complain. So um, I think this is a great change. You know, you want to know what are the rules, what are the requirements, what uh, what does the city have to say about who's living where and, and how would that impact you? I think this is going to be a great change that's going to bring more affordable housing to Denver. So we'll keep up to date on there. So thank you, Stacey, for sending it over. And here's the last little tidbit. That's something Lon Welsh sent out just a few days ago. And it's a report by the Milken Institute that talks about the states that are most science and tech friendly. Guess what number one is, Joe, without looking at the chart? Uh, I didn't guess this one. I, this is not what I would have guessed. I would have guessed California, uh, but I've seen the chart, but California didn't get number one. No. Massachusetts did. Yeah. I knew Boston had a lot of like tech stuff. I guess they, they got a lot of stuff. Makes sense when yeah. you see it. Massachusetts Institute of Technology, you know, there's yep. a lot of great schools, Harvard, et cetera, but I would not have picked that right off the top of my head. So they were at number one. Guess who number two is? Uh, well, California was actually number three, and number two is my favorite state in the nation, Colorado. Yes. And so that's just great, you know, great news for Colorado in general. And that just speaks to the whole future growth. It speaks to why we have no inventory right now. People are moving here and businesses are moving here. Yeah. And for my Econ 101, those are two very key principles uh, for, you know, macro trends on a good long-term return on your investment. Yeah. For those of you that are not familiar um, Colorado is a very business-friendly state. We have very friendly um, tax laws for businesses. We have very friendly property taxes. We have very friendly housing costs. We have very good uh, incentives for people or for businesses that bring jobs here. Um, so this is, uh, for those of us that are here, those of us that own properties here, we are the beneficiaries of being in a really good state and a state where people want to live. A lot of people want to live here. We've got mountains. We've got great weather. We have 300 plus days of sunshine. We're the benefit beneficiaries of a nice place to live and a really strong, robust economy, um, which translates for everybody on the podcast to great real estate income, great passive and active real estate investment opportunities. Just really a great place to live. So let's read the top 10 here because I found this very curious. So one is Massachusetts, two is Colorado, three is California. That's no surprise. Yep. Four is Maryland. That surprised me. Five is Washington. Seattle. Makes sense. Yeah, that Microsoft. makes sense. Six is Utah. And I know Salt Lake City. That doesn't surprise me. Very business friendly. Seven, New Hampshire. That one, I guess maybe a lot of people are going, hey, they're probably going to do very well during all this remote work stuff that people can go out there and they got the infrastructure. I can't even name one thing in New Hampshire, but good on them being science and technology friendly. I love it. Eight is Virginia. Nine is Delaware and 10 is Oregon. So that's great. I mean, Colorado's in great company. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think, again, we're all beneficiaries of a very um, diverse, robust economy. And mm. uh, all signs point to this is going to continue to You know what phrase pops my mind when I see this? Hmm. The trend is your friend. Yeah. That was, I used to try to day trade stocks and foreign currencies. And if you ever seen anything day trading, that's like one of the mantras of, is the trend is your friend. Yeah. Now they're talking short-term stuff for long-term as well. Like, hey, right, ride the trend. It's the whole point of that, hey, if you go with the trend, uh, it's it's a lot more forgiving. Yeah. It makes you more profitable. It saves you. You're swimming. You're not swimming upstream. Yeah. You know what? Let's actually, I think that's a really good point. One of the things that we get a lot of times is people say, well, hey, I want to invest out of state. Now, for those of you that can see this chart, every every property or every state is listed here. But a lot of people say, oh, Colorado's too expensive. So I'm going to invest in real estate out of state. A real common one I hear is uh, Missouri or St. Louis or Indiana. 
Now, this is not all-encompassing, right? This is just the science and technology industry. Um, but 27, that's Indiana. So they are in the lower half of places that are friendly to science and technology. Um, Missouri, where are they at on the list? They are... Missouri is 31. 31, right? That's a big one that I hear. Oh, I want to purchase properties in Kansas City because they're cheap and they're going to cash flow. Okay, that's true. But if that state's not science and technology friendly, is there a lot of opportunity for upside growth when so much more is going online, so much more is being you know, run by computers and artificial intelligence, et cetera, do you really want to be in a place that could fall behind the times? Um, I've also heard of people investing in Mississippi um, because you can buy properties for like eight bucks. Guess what? It's number 50 on the list, guys. You're probably not going to have a ton of appreciation. You might get good cash flow, but that property is not going to increase in value over a long period of time. And for anybody that's been through our spreadsheet class, you know a big portion of your profits are built on appreciation of that property over the long term. So this isn't the end-all be-all, but I, I think it's just interesting to see if you're thinking about investing out of state. And it's not just appreciation on there. If, you know, two things I look for, population growth, job growth. Yeah. Your job, business growth, same thing. Like those are two trends. If you got that going for you, it's, you know, just makes your bet a lot you know, a lot safer, I would say. Yeah. And if you're doing like the in day trading terms. Absolutely. But if a population is decreasing and jobs are leaving, that's not good for rent rent increases either in the future no. or a great tenant pool. No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. All right. So we'll put this chart up on the website as well. Joe, that's all I have for the news. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, I guess if you want to see what I've been up to for lunch, you can check it out on Facebook. You know, that's where I post my the majority of my news, my running um, you know, anything else exciting, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, send us a carrier pigeon. If you have questions, <laughs> uh, I don't have any other big news either. Strong sellers market. Um, hope everybody has fantastic holiday season. Yeah. If anyone out there, if you guys have interesting news articles that you see or, uh, you know, uh, data points, send them over. I want to start doing more of these articles then because I, I think they're very interesting and, and I need to spice things up other than just trends every month. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, that's I'll a, need some more news on Yeah. If you have something you want to talk about, send it over. We'd love to do a podcast yeah. on, on something. Um, that, that we get from the audience. So we'd love to see any of your comments. All right. Joe, thank you so much. Chris, I always appreciate it, brother.